Boston Mayor Michelle Wu has been on a mission. Transform and reform the way the city plans and grows, retooling its controversial Boston Planning and Development Agency, and moving planning into a city department. It's going to take sign-off from the state, the city, and to some extent buy-in from BPDA staff and residents who have already spent years thinking about how they'd like their city to look in the next decade. Let's see how that's going. I'm Jennifer Smith, and this is The Codcast, Commonwealth Beacon's podcast about policy and civic life here in Massachusetts. Mayor Wu filed an ordinance in early February that would, with City Council sign-off, really kick off the process of transitioning BPDA staff over to the planning department. It's a long-promised move, and there's no one better to talk about what the state's capital and largest city is up to than its chief of planning, Arthur Jemison. Chief Jemison, thanks for spending a Friday afternoon with me to talk planning. Oh, it's a real pleasure. So it's been a big mystery for casual observers here and even some of us in the press. Uh, So the mayor ran on a promise to abolish the BPDA, but I think it would be helpful kind of a few years in to dissect the meaning of that a little bit because it can be a little obscure, a little bit hard to get your head around. And you, of course, wear a few hats. You're both chief of planning, but you're also director of the BPDA. So for our listeners who may not closely follow the machinations of Boston's planning and development universe, what's the purpose of the BPDA right now? And how does that relate to the new planning department? Sure. So it's probably worth saying um, that, you know, the mayor ran on uh, abolishing the BPDA, but I, I want a couple of things that I don't think she ran on were ending development um, or not having a planning and development function in city government. Every major American city, certainly one that wants to grow, has to have a great planning and development uh, operation. And so that's really, I think, what um, the BPDA and its predecessor, uh, the BRA, really represented a specific way of um, governing uh, development in in Boston that is, I think, really more what people are trying to abolish. It's a project-centered, project-by-project, uh, initiative-by-initiative approach to growing the city versus what I think the mayor is trying to achieve macro uh, on a macro scale, which is um, having planning uh, lead development and have projects happen in a predictable way that's connected to what citizens and the government have and, and development interests have identified as the right pathway. Uh, and I think that's the big picture. So maybe a little bit on a sort of smaller scale, what we are trying to do, and we, we submitted an ordinance last week to begin to do it, was break up the uh, combination of things that the BPDA currently represents. So since it's a podcast, I guess I can probably tell you a version of the whole story. Oh, please, so in, absolutely. In the, we have time. <laughs> I'll make it as fast as I can. So in the late 50s and early 60s, when the predecessor of HUD uh, made a huge amount of capital available to cities to transform themselves, called urban renewal, um, in the Commonwealth, uh, they passed the right for cities to have something called a redevelopment authority. Boston already had a planning board, and it had a zoning commission, uh, and it had staff, you know, planning staff like the ones we have now. Um, but when the possibility of having a redevelopment authority, which had the rights of uh, to do takings for uh, blight, decadence, or substandard housing, um, came about, the Boston approach to, to the new regulatory powers and the access that those new regulatory powers gave it to capital available uh, from the federal government was to say, we're going to take the staff who work on planning, we're going to take the zoning commission, and we're going to take the redevelopment authority and the planning board and make it into one thing, and we're going to separate it from government so that it has the right and capacity and resources to act much more independently um, than they would have to under the circumstances. So 
that combination of things has created one of the most powerful development agencies, kinds of agencies really in the country. Um, but what it has not done is allowed there to be um, regular democratic oversight of the agency and its staff. And so one of the reasons I have two titles is because while we're the BPDA, I'm the director, but we're moving to a planning sort of a system where there's a planning department that still interacts and, and supports the work of those, the zoning commission and the what's now called the BPDA board, but also has that oversight uh, provided by the uh, by the city council and the democratically elected representatives of the city uh, have a chance to sort of oversee us and, and our governance uh, through uh, the allocation of our budget, et cetera. So that's, that's a little bit about how we got here and, and what we're trying to do. So I'd love to tease out a few things there. So there's the big question of what you can do, you know, to what extent this change would let the city not do or would let the city keep doing something from a powers perspective. And then there's the sort of philosophical approach and kind of the structure perspective. So uh, let's kind of take those apart very briefly. So what would both the ordinance and also kind of the effort right now before the legislature that the mayor has testified on a home rule, which would basically undo that legal entity that had created the former BPDA and create a different BPDA also called structure. So what would those changes collectively, if they all made it through, let the city do that it can't do before or prevent the city from doing that it could do before, if anything? We'll go one piece at a time. So the home rule petition is very focused on doing a couple of things. One is we are able to undertake takings and and use what people typically call the urban renewal powers of the agency, uh, we're able to do that uh, because of the what the legislation allows us to do. But we're able to do it in events where we need to cause there to be the removal of uh, blight, decadence, and or substandard housing. So those are the three reasons that we can use our power. So we have to make a finding that the action we're taking is connected to removing or changing one of those things. What the home rule petition allows us to do is change those rationales for using our ability to do taking, participate in the conventional um, real estate market, et cetera. It allows us to do them in the events that we're pursuing resilience, affordability, or uh, or equity. So that's one major change. Uh, There's some some smaller matters in there having to do with the ability of, uh, of staff who've been working in a system that has uh, you know, what's something close to a 401k to buy their way into the uh, into the retirement system. But there's also the uh, sort of the way we're trying to codify all of the um, urban renewal has something called land disposition agreements associated with it. That means that there's a large number of open spaces and affordable housing developments whose affordability and continuation as open spaces is contingent on the land disposition agreements being continued. So I'm getting way down in the weeds here, but uh, the the home rule petition also allows those things to continue forward. So to answer your question very directly, we're basically continuing the powers that we have, but we are changing the rationales for their use. And then we're um, permanently codifying the, um, the affordability and uh, open space restrictions that urban renewal got us, but we're ending uh, urban renewal otherwise. So that's what's happening kind of technically with the home rule petition. The ordinance uh, does different things. The ordinance principally um, allows the, cre- just like 
if we were trying to create a new department in the city, you have to pass an ordinance that creates a new department. So we're filed the ordinance that creates a new department. And so between now and the, when the budget's filed and then after the budget's approved, hopefully, um, what, what it will happen is the ordinance creates the department, the budget uh, will fund the department and, and sort of fund the positions in the department so that July 1st, we begin to have a new planning department uh, and the staff who were once with BPDA are now uh, working for the city. So those are the sort of technical actions. So I think, does that explain hopefully what? Yes, that's great. So so we're going to talk a little bit about the specific ordinance, which is kind of this almost public kickoff for the, the full transition happening, kind of laying the groundwork for it. I think it might be helpful for people to kind of understand a little bit about what's been going on under the hood before now, because there has been movement, there have been staff changes, there has been kind of gearing up, essentially, uh, to, to get ready for the transition from what the BPDA was to what the new BPDA plus this planning department are for. So what's happened right before now? So I want to make sure I'm uh, answering as best I can. The There are a couple of important modernization efforts that have been going on over the last uh, nine months. For example, Article 80, the Article 80 process is the way that we review uh, the impact of developments and uh, evaluate what mitigation or community benefits those projects need to provide and then take those projects to our, our BPDA board. So we've been in a process of modernizing that, both from the standpoint of making it more predictable for our development partners and citizens to, who participate in development evaluations to, to understand how their process is going to work. And then also, um, we've been focusing on community engagement and trying to improve the way that something called the impact advisory group process works. That, that's our principal way of involving citizens. So we've had a, a modernization effort going on with Article 80. We're hoping to culminate that later this year uh, in the summer. Similarly, we have also been pursuing um, a new set of zoning initiatives. A, passing um, a series of plans and advancing them to zoning in Charlestown, East Boston, Mattapan, uh, New Market, uh, and downtown and then launching a new um, planning approach called Squares and Streets, which is uh, designed to uh, help us create zoning. It's more of an as-of-right development environment in our transit-rich squares and and, uh, and corridors. So this is um, those are a couple of things that have been going on under the hood as a lead into uh, having a new department. Hopefully the theme that's emerging there is that I think we're trying to create a more predictable development environment and that comes from coming together with citizens and, and the development uh, industry and, and the public sector to say, we can create new zoning that, that prioritizes and makes it easy to do the things that we all think are commonly needed. Um, so that work has been going on for the last nine months or so. I've been really interested in the way that the city has talked about the concept of continuity as a theme. You know, it's often come up with the question of trying to keep staff, that sort of thing. And there have been transitions and there's been some turnover from BPDA staff. Um, but no mayoral administration is is in a vacuum, of course. You know, they try to build on or tear down work from prior administrations. And you and I, some insight for, for our listeners, when you and I talked almost two years ago when you were first getting this position, we touched on some existing and some pretty sweeping plans, uh, notably Imagine Boston 2030, Housing Boston 2030, and Climate Ready Boston, all of which still have some sort of presence here. 
So how would you sort of describe the administration's approach and your approach to either building on or adjusting existing initiatives to, to kind of keep that sense of, of continuity, but also, of course, establish new ground for a new administration? You know, it, I appreciate the question. It's a really good one because it, it really involves, I mean, I think my goal was really to kind of uh, build on all the the best elements of what happened before, and then hopefully take it forward uh, in with some slightly different approaches. I mean, the key thing here is the the asset that we're talking about is community involvement. So people have been working on some of these plans for five years, and uh, they've got a huge amount of voice and energy and attendance and meetings that's invested in them. So uh, something like Imagine Boston, Climate Ready, or Go Boston, what's been great about something like Imagine Boston, for example, is you know, preserve, enhance the sort of categories that it used to sort of say, we want growth here, were very helpful. And I think get people into a mindset of we need to find a way to reach consensus about how to grow here. I think what was missing from that, and and by the way, I, I don't begrudge them for not taking it on because it is very challenging, was in some cases, the decision to say, well, here's a conceptual plan about like showing streets and neighborhoods where we think growth can happen. That's great. But then taking it to the next stage and saying, we're going to zone it for that, and we're going to make a definitive decision about if you're doing something that looks like this, you're going to have a very, it's going to be easy to develop and predictable for you to develop your your project there. That's a much more challenging assignment, but it builds on the great work that I think was done before and takes it to another level, hopefully a better one that sort of builds on it in a constructive way. I, I found, you know, I think the ideas and planning don't change so rapidly that uh, there isn't a place to, uh, so I really felt good about, uh, that's why I, I, I've spent our time and the, our staff time continuing and carrying through uh, five of the plans that had been launched uh, in the prior administration and trying to uh, add some zoning to them uh, where appropriate. So I think that's that's hopefully showing the how how much I believed in what we re- received and the community involvement there. But I also think we have some new directions to go in and we're taking those through squares and streets where we're going to the different squares and saying, can we in a more concentrated way create more predictable zoning? Because housing is is such a high priority and making it possible for more housing to happen without a thousand zoning cases at the ZBA. Um, without, you know, really high stakes uh, negotiations and lawsuits and the things that unfortunately are really part of the development scene here too much these days. Um, I could tell many stories just about East Bostonians saying, my neighborhood's being transformed one ZBA meeting at a time. I want control over it, um, you know, on one hand. And on the other hand, people say, I've I tried to get my project built. I got Article 80 approved. I made all the things, but I'm being held up in court. We have to grow and we have to find ways of doing it in a predictable way involve citizens. And uh, kind of help me sort of understand this a little bit because I'm coming from from a local reporting background. So you see a lot of these sort of micro projects work their way through or or get gummed up rather than working their way through the process. And in the mayor's first state of the city, she was saying that a big priority for zoning changes, Article 80 reform, was to make sure that good projects could get shovels in the ground faster, basically saying identify what a good project is and then find a way to move forward with it efficiently with as few sort of sort of grist in the gear moments as possible. So how does the Squares and Streets project 
do that? How does it advance sort of the predictable nature when it is kind of micro-targeted? When it's looking at these kind of smaller areas, how does that help out with city-wide planning? Okay, so maybe the way to think about it is to create guidelines and regulations um, to make it easier to do the, the things that everybody agrees we need. And I think there's a very big consensus that we need we need more housing. But where should that housing be? You know, because it could be a lot of places, right? We think it should be in the places that have transit, great bus service, and are uh, and already have commercial uh, active commercial district. And so, what we're trying to do is over the next few years is is focus on those particular squares where there might be a predominance of single story commercial buildings, where there's a chance because of the availability of transit and the connection to trains and buses and other transportation, that might be possible for there to be, you know, three, four or five story residential added to those neighborhoods. And when added, it not only would it support our ability to grow in a way that's, you know, sort of transit oriented, it also provides support for all of those first floor commercial businesses that uh, that, that are looking for patronage. We think that that's the, the way we, we need to grow. And so we're trying to make it easy there. So just to make it very specific, the way the process works is we're adding new categories to the zoning code. Those new categories are then going to be the subject of a community planning process where citizens can say, well, I'd like this area to be to, to not change. I'd like this area to have four-story or three-story development. I'd like this area to have even something taller. And together, you know, that upzoning, so to speak, will allow there to be more housing growth near transit. And the, this is the crucial part. Because we've done the community process, those things that we've agreed on are, are what we call as of right. They don't have to have a special hearing of the ZBA in order to be approved. After the Article 80 approval is done, people can go right forward and, and in the shovel-ready way that uh, you were describing. That's how we're making it shovel-ready and making it easier in the way you were alluding to from the mayor's speech. I am always really interested in the way that we talk about community process, because over time, of course, you know, the city grows in population, the state as a whole is in a pretty dramatic housing crunch, and we often end up with the question of who counts as community, the folks who are here now, or the folks that we're kind of trying to make sure that we can build out housing for, that often ends up with conflicts between, say, homeowners and renters, uh, you know, who might be coming through neighborhoods at different times. I'm really, really interested in how the administration is thinking about who is Bostonian, who is community, who 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 is kind of being actively sought out to participate in these sorts of processes, particularly those who might not have been previously. It's a very difficult question. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it's like right down the middle in terms of what we're what we're trying to accomplish. The way community input has traditionally been, uh, registered has been through a, you know, in a junior high school at 6 p.m., there's a microphone set up and a boards and panels. And, you know, in the Zoom era, it's, it's something similar, but, you know, in a, in a Zoom format what, like this. And so what we've really been trying to do um, is say to ourselves, well, that's a way to get a certain kind of voice from the community. And that voice is really important. But it's usually very much a longstanding citizen, uh, homeowner, voice. Meanwhile, there are people who are taking care of their kids. There are people who are um, coming home from work and not 
ready to go to another meeting. Uh, there are people taking care of their senior uh, family members or like they're waiting for their next shift because they have a different kind of work schedule than nine to five. So we really have to find a way to bring those people into the dialogue. And so we spent a lot of time in some of the planning efforts. And, you know, we had some great lead-ins from the prior administration in, in some of those planning efforts, you know, whether it's pint with a planner or walking the streets or go, doing meetings in schools or trying to make sure that language groups, um, you know, Spanish speakers um, are, are being identified, the places that they gather are being identified and we're going and bringing the planning to them in a language in trans with translated documents and uh, and people who are fluent in the language uh, it's appropriate. We've been really trying to bring those those folks and voices forward. Uh, and I think it's enriched the whole process because the answer is everybody's voice counts. And I think the it's almost like the method of gaining information about a community's views has become so um, ritualized in a particular way that invites certain voices that we have to keep doing that, but we have to bring other voices too. And so it's really a, a major uh, target of ours. I've also been thinking, of course, uh, we talked about a home rule, we talked about an ordinance, there are lots of different routes that the city has to go through to kind of change its own policies. Uh, sometimes that involves needing to ask the state for permission to do it. So I, I wonder, could you talk a little bit about how state oversight has impacted Boston's plans and ability to reshape itself? Because uh, if I recall, you know, it only recently got legislative sign off to work inclusionary development policy, which impacts affordable housing requirements into its zoning code. We have to go up to the state level and we have to ask, pretty please, can Boston change the way that it does its zoning? So from a municipality perspective, has it gone more slowly? Has it have there been bumps in the road? How has your tenure uh, seen the city of Boston interact with the state of Massachusetts? Well, listen, I've got only great things to say. Um, I feel like I can reach um, Lieutenant Governor Driscoll like anytime I want to. And I, I think about how many other local officials feel that way. It's, pro it's probably got to be everybody. So uh, I don't know how she is able to do everything she does. But I, I feel like I've had great audiences and access, and I've had really great and collaborative feedback. I have to say the same thing about Secretary Augustus, who's been another fellow municipal leader. Uh, he's been a, a incredibly available to us, uh, helped us in every way we've asked. Um, we've got some great plans we're cooking up together. He's got an amazing affordable housing bill. It's going to resource this in the industries that we work with very strongly and I'm, I'm really want to get past uh, and we're working together on things like the momentum fund uh, there's parts of the uh, bond bill that also include a focus on office to residential so i feel like we're working in really a great partnership with them and um and i'm really excited about what the, the next few years are going to bring because again i think we're just starting to build momentum with them but as terms of people who know our our business and know municipal um municipal and town growth and development policy that we've got two complete aces up there. And I did want to touch on kind of the, the human side of this transition. So the ordinance, which is going to help kind of move people over from the BPDA over uh, into the planning department. Uh, talk to me about that transition. How has staff sort of been responding to the proposed changes and the timeline, balancing kind of continuity with keeping staff with the fact that this is, you know, a substantive change in some ways? Yeah, so it's a it's really important to, to obtain balance and to work to achieve balance there. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, BPDA staff 
have been part of a separate agency for almost, you know, for 60, 70 years. And so um, bringing people over, we really needed to make sure that we went through every, all 40 of the benefits and uh, retirement and otherwise uh, that, uh, that they have now and what uh, people will receive when they come over. And so we've had to go benefit by benefit and sort of match everything up. And I think we've, I feel good about the work we've done there. Um, we've been able to get just about everything. We've been able to get a lot. We've get, gotten just about a couple of places where I feel like the benefits are different and there's only so much we can do about it. But in other ways, we I think we've been very successful. But the key thing is we've been as transparent as we possibly can with the staff about it and, and through over the last several months. So I feel like um, the staff is feeling like they understand the trajectory, they understand where we're going and and how they fit into the future. We've also added, I think we're probably up about 20 to 30 staff net since I've gotten here. Um, we've, uh, in particular, we've added uh, folks to the planning departments, although we've also added staff to the places that support uh, all the departments. So I'm feeling good about, um, we got a real youth movement here, a lot of young people, especially in the planning section who are adding a lot of great energy. So I'm feeling good about the the balance we've been able to achieve and people's willingness to engage with us. And, you know, when we, uh, when we've made great strides, they've been there for us. They've also been, you know, part of a good dialogue where it's been, where it's been a little tougher. So I'm pretty good with that. I, I do think we have this moment here where, um, cause listen, change is, is not easy. And I think every place has its own approach and ways to, to deal with change. But I think the way we've tried to say it is cause there's moments where, uh, you say, well, who's who benefits from the existing system, right? And I think we we say, well, okay, who are we aligned? We're aligned with the people who can't, who are having trouble because housing is too expensive, and we need to produce more housing. Um, the the retail person who's um, who's concerned about their future. If the status quo is is not being kind to those folks, and so we have to find the right kind of change that's going to support them. And that that's not just a part of what we're doing with our staff. It's also part of what we're trying to do uh, in the field is like, what's the right kind of change that uh, moves the, that sort of pushes back against the status quo for the people we're trying to support and benefit. Uh, people who want to buy a house in Boston, uh, people want to make an investment in a growing industry in Boston, uh, people who are looking for a place to rent or the first job in Boston. You know, changes can be challenging, but we need to say, we can decide together that we can change to make it uh, possible for those folks to have a future here that we know and depend on them having. Uh, I'm going to end it on what I don't mean as a flip note, but I wonder if you have an answer. Speaking of continuity and change, um, did you keep BPDA just to confuse the journalists? Did you consider <laughs> changing the name of the organization? Why do I have to keep saying old BPDA and new BPDA? No, I understand. So one of the tough parts of this is 70 years of growth and development and ownership and letterhead. And, it, you know, it makes it very hard to change the names because, you know, there's all the every legal agreement that says where you have to send things and what the address you have to send it to. And it's very prescriptive. Then there's also the fact that, well, listen, I could go on for a long time. I would just tell you that it's it's a very, it's a big challenge. We didn't do it to confuse you. Hopefully the future where we're having a, there's a planning department where all this stuff happens. We'll make it a lot easier. We also wanted to make sure that the focus is on the modernization through Article 80 zoning, uh, the move of the staff to be under the city, that that focuses on the actual 
steps towards uh, change. And the focus isn't on having a new name and, and having, you know, different uh, colors or other things. Those things are important. And I'm glad that they took the step they did to go from VRA to BPDA. But I think we really wanted to put the focus on the work of, of making those, those changes, uh, substantive changes, um, because I think that's really where the focus is. So sorry for the confusion. We'll try to. Oh, no, I'm happy you guys get to keep the wall colors. I like the blue better than the orange. <laughs> but oh, sadly, so you're, oh, wait, so yeah. are you old enough to remember the orange days? We had oh, orange yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. I I very much started covering um, Boston development pretty regularly at the moment that they were doing the doing the paint job. So, wow. we, uh, okay. again, it less harsh on my eyes. And I assume that's why we do city politics the way we do. <laughs> right. It's all about color schemes. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Thanks again to Arthur Jemison for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Jennifer Smith. Our producer is John Gee. Leave a rating and review wherever you're hearing this now if you want to help other folks find us. And email podcast at commonwealthbeacon.org if you ever want to get in touch directly. We'll be back in your ears next week.